it's a rainy day. It's supposed to be a snowy day. Doesn't really look snowy. It looks more like rainy. But um, yeah, um, welcome back to another episode of the Uptime Punks. So, um, our guest. Um, I described him. I called him the J.K. Rowling of the data center industry. <laughs> <laughs> and Tim goes, "No, you're more like the Jesse James of the data center industry." Um, Tim, uh, rock star? No, rock star isn't enough. I mean, it's it's uh, a rock star. Is a, I mean, yes, there are some elements of rock star, but he's definitely more. Um, than that is a remarkable human being um, a remarkable human, be- human being with a remarkable story that i didn't know of because that's the stuff you don't read on wikipedia um so for yeah. disclosure i've looked him up on wikipedia of course in the weeks preparing for the podcast but this stuff you can't read anywhere on the internet so no really um i think it's one he he even be- beat my favorite um Lockdown he double beat. No, he double beats the gadget. Like double beat beats and the then, gadget. And the normal. I think he beat his own gadget even. Yeah. But um, and it's the first would, time we have a knight of the British Empire on the podcast, which is which is an honor. Even if as punks we're not so impressed by chivalry, but that particular one <laughs> is um, is. Uh, I think he deserves the order and. No, really, guys. I, I, I think if if we were if if he was American, you would say he is he person um, he impersonates the American dream, um, because if you look at his life story and where he is now and everything and how humble he is as a human being, it's just remarkable. But you know, I don't want to. We speak about his book, um, guys um, and ladies and everybody out there. If you work in the industry, on the industry. It is worth reading it because um, you can find it on Amazon. Um, it's very easy for Kindle. I've, I got it on my Kindle. Um, it's 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 lifting the floor by Michael Tobin. It is really a remarkable book. He speaks basically about the history of the internet and data centers and about what it's all about in the industry. And a, a man who's raising the voice for the industry, we as the punks, and us as the industry, we should support. So um, everybody tried to get his book or his audiobook and support a great cause. And um, yeah, um, enjoy the podcast. Hello, welcome back to another episode of the Uptown Punks. Um, we have a very special guest today. Um, so I went across the internet and I looked for somebody that looks a little bit different and looks like he's frozen in the ice in the snow. No, jokes aside, um, Michael Tobin, um, welcome to the Uptown Punks. Thank you, for Thank you. Um, the way the way I came across Michael was actually with the guys in Singapore who said, "Guys, there's this book out. You have to read it." And of course, it's always. Um, I think we're in Europe. We're so busy with our day to day lives, and the guys over there had maybe a little bit more time. And um, <laughs> they said, "Michael has written this groundbreaking book, and he's like the J.K. Rowling of the data center tech industry." <laughs> and I was like, "Oh God, is it is it going to be another novel?" And then. Um, well, so I was like, okay, let me let, let me let me ha- take my chance here, and I was like, Michael, you know, um, I haven't read your book yet, but I heard a lot about it, and we would love to have you on the podcast. And 
Michael said, yeah, sure. And so um, welcome here. <laughs> well, thank you very much. Thank you. The J.K. Rowling of the data center. You know what? I, I, if I'd have written Harry Potter, I might have made some money out of my books. But uh, well, Fifty Shades of Grey would have been even better, right? At least I could have appeared in the film myself. Well, I, I purchased your book on uh, I purchased your book on Kindle, so I supported the course. Yeah. Thank you very okay. much. Thank you. Those are the rare ones. The signed ones are the are the more liberally uh, available because it means uh, you've actually bought it. So that's quite rare. So, yeah, because I, I'm, I'm just to put this out there. I'm actually quite a believer. So even um, that's why I support um, that's why I have an Apple TV because I purchase my movies. Um, I normally don't watch Netflix and these things because I think the industry go. needs to live. So that's, Absolutely. but it's a personal approach. I never bought a fake DVD or anything, uh, which I can no, say. Good, 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 good. Uh, because it gives a lot of, uh, what do you say, hard labor into writing something like this. But um, yeah, so let's start first with um, you as a person, okay? Um, mm. so, so before I brought you on, me and Tim had a little quick talk and Tim was like, oh my God, this guy has done 40 marathons in 40 days. And then... <laughs> What is this? Uh, first, I thought you climbed Mount Everest. Probably you have done something like that already. I'm sure Kilimanjaro <laughs> is somewhere on your bucket list. Um, but then um, the picture of you on LinkedIn shows you on, you said the South Pole? Yeah, so that was in January this year. Um, so the 40 marathons in 40 days was for the 40th anniversary of the Prince's Trust. So helping young young people to kind of um, get, a, get a second start in life. Maybe they've fallen on the wrong side of the tracks and you know, you'd want a little bit of help and things like that. Whereas this, uh, this one was for children with brain tumors. So um, a very good friend of mine is the ex-England rugby captain, Lewis Moody. Um, and he supports the, the brain tumor charity a lot. And he said, let's do something crazy. So we ended up walking to the South Pole. And it was the most brutal thing I've ever done in my life. It was so bad. <laughs> Minus 45 degrees all the time, 24 hours daylight, um, nothing for 35 kilometers in every direction. Not a single thing grows. You're at 10,000 feet. Did you get snow blind? You get snow blind as you get. So one guy that was with us, he had a a crack in his tooth and the ice got in and his tooth exploded. Right. So he's just literally walking and his his mouth just gushed with blood. And and so his tooth exploded. And he was an orthodentist, by the way, just just (laughs) (laughs) and and then uh, one guy collapsed with hypothermia. Literally, we could see the South Pole Station and having walked for weeks, we could see it. And he just stood there and fell over and he couldn't go anymore. And we had to get a rescue um, skidoo thing out. And luckily, we were that close. But it still took three and a half hours for them to get to us, even if we could see it. But um, yeah, it was pretty bad. It was pretty bad. I won't be doing that again in a hurry. But we raised um, three quarters of a million dollars for uh, for, the, for the charity, so that was great. Oh wow, that's that's amazing! And um, thank you so much that uh, you went out there and you put yourself at risk in order to uh, do something great for humanity. Well, you know, the, but... one of the one of the terrible things was right. So you have to drag this uh, 150 kilo sledge, <laughs> right? And you fill it with all your food, and the food is like um, spaceman food. It's all dehydrated. To keep okay. A bit light, but you're not in, in Antarctica. You're not allowed to leave anything on the continent. So every morning when you take a dump, right, <laughs> you have to do it in a bag. You wrap it up and you put it back in your sledge, right? So your sledge gets progressively heavier as you go because you're converting dehydrated food into rehydrated food. So the, the longer you go, the harder this damn thing is to grab. You fill up your own crap. But, so so. So why no huskies? So why didn't you guys get any huskies? No, because you're not allowed. They they crap, right? They're not allowed. You know, they they, they leave all sorts of. And then on there. The, the sleigh no gets even more heavier. Um, 
Um, <laughs> of, of course, for for all the the younger listeners out there, I don't know how how young our listeners are. Did you see any penguins and ice bears? <laughs> well, so they because it's a pla- so the the actual continent of Antarctica is is like twice as big as America, right? So um, there's one part of it which is a peninsula which is at sea level. Um, and that's where you see all the penguins. And all the rest of the entire continent is at 3,000 meters. And there's nothing lives there, nothing grows there, nothing at all. So you don't see anything up there. Ah, we so just, just, saw, just national geographics couple, like this, yeah? Exactly. We just saw a couple of researchers when we got to the South Pole. Some real geeks. Um, so did, did you have then a bottle of vodka once you reached the, the, the I, station? I, I, actually, I actually polished off an entire bottle of whiskey um, <laughs> in what I thought was the night. But because it's always daytime, so you, you forget what the time is, right? So I just, right. I just got wrecked. <laughs> so much for dehi- for rehydration. Uh, okay. And... How, how, no, no, just one thing. Uh, how do you prepare for such a thing? Like, I mean, pulling a, a sleigh full of crap is, is, is a hard task anywhere. <laughs> But you do it in Antarctica. Yeah, so you know, the thing is, I how much time did you need to prepare? Or well, I, I, you know, I, I kind of foolishly thought that I was relatively fit anyway going into it. But of course, nothing prepares you for the altitude, effort, and everything else. And um, the first day, I mean, I was so out of breath. I was like gasping for air. And we'd only done a mile, right? And in eight hours, so it's but it progressively got better by the end we were doing sort of um 12 13 miles a day um but mm-hmm. it's really hard to prepare because of that altitude dynamics i went in a in one of those oxygen chambers and did a whole bunch of things to try and prepare but nothing prepares you really wow mm-hmm. i mean um okay uh, let's start with the uptime <laughs> punk questions um michael do you remember your first mobile phone i do i do it was um i bought an old um xjs when i lived in paris um, Jag XJS, and it had one of those mobile phones in the in the car, and it was a walnut wood handset like this, right? That on a big curly cable, and and I used to drive around. I, I couldn't afford to have it connected, right? But I used to drive around with it in my hand like that to make me look posh. But then, but then the, the proper mobile phone, it was a, a, an old. It would look like a house brick, right? Back in the days in the eighties, used the chart. The, the battery was bigger than the phone, yeah. so you used to carry it around in this cradle. And that thing, you know, it was like a, 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 you know, like a shoulder bag that you used to carry around with you. And then progressively, and my favorite of, you know, all the time was, was the old Nokia 6310. It was shaped like a little kind of gray banana about, that, about sort of, yeah. I don't know, six inches long. And that was fantastic. You could throw that around. It would bounce everywhere. It would do WAP, right, on that little screen. Yeah. You get WAP. And, um, and you could charge it once a week. Right, and now so, so, uh, the question is, whatever happened to Nokia? I mean, we're still trying. Uh, uh, well, Tim, they, we they, need to bring somebody from Nokia one day and ask well, they, them what went wrong. They're a software company now, right? They're a software company now, but but yeah. you know, they've gone through lots of evolutions. They started as yeah. a, as a uh, Wellington boots and car tires, and then they made paper and all these things, and then TVs, and then phones, <laughs> and now they're software. Yeah, wow. That's my so, biggest, so, my biggest recommendation to any entrepreneur. By the way, it's not about being the fastest or the strongest, or the, it's simply. You just got to learn to adapt. And in technology, the rate of change is getting so fast that if you don't adapt, if you try and spend all your days building a five-year plan, forget it. You won't get six uh, months in before you need to change it. So it's about adaptability. That's the key. Oh, well, yeah. it's already one of the, that's, that's, one of the quotes. Um, <laughs> that's, by the way, one of your other books. It's like, forget strategy, get results. That's it. Isn't it? Absolutely, so. yeah. And, 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 you know, it's all about the fact that, you know, if, and it's a bit tongue in cheek. I'd rather have a vision than a strategy because strategy is mm-hmm. too prescriptive. And once you once you prescribe a route, 
let's say if you're a sailor, right, and you want to sail from Dover to Calais, and in the morning of your desire, the, the desired day, you want to go and have lunch in Calais, but the wind is blowing completely against you. Well, you don't mm -hmm. just say, oh, forget it. Well, a proper sailor would say, okay, well, I may not have the same route. I might have to switch my sails more often, but I can still go against the wind. I just need to tack a few more times. So having a vision means I know what I'm going to be doing. I'm going to be having lunch in Calais, right? But how I get mm -hmm. there, I can leave that a little bit more flexible. So that's the, yeah. that's the way of thinking about it. <laughs> yeah. So that's the whole that's the whole agile movement. It is basically. 100%. So um, yeah. Yeah. Um, okay. Next one. Um, <laughs> um, how 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 was your first contact with computers? Was your first computer? Uh, when did you get your first computer? What type was it? Do you remember it? Um, well, I do. So my first, technically, my first computer was a, a Sinclair ZX eighty one. And okay, you won't even remember that, but it was about the size of a box of chocolates and um, had really stubby fingers and, and you had to do machine code to do it. Oh. You program machine code into it and then it would do simple tasks like, you know, it would be like a glorified calculator type thing. But when I got my when I was about uh, 20, I started selling and, and unfortunately, on a podcast, you can't see, but I'm holding up one of these things here, which is a, a, a box again about the size of a box of chocolates. And uh, this, is, this is a hard disk, right? Uh, and this box of chocolates is a 10 meg hard disk. Okay. Oh, so this, wow. This, would now, this whole thing would hold one picture that you take from your iPhone. Right? <laughs> Not a live picture, just a normal picture. Just a normal, picture, I... just a normal <laughs> picture. And so, yeah, I used to sell three or four. They were about 2,000 pounds each, these things, for 10 meg. When I, oh, I, I'd sell damn. three or four of those a month and I'd hit my target. So, <laughs> uh, okay wow so yeah, that um, was my first introduction to computers so this is where you, so you started from a sales perspective then um yeah, yeah. So, so you I, were selling did, hardware basically was it in london or what where, no, where was so that I did, I did an apprenticeship in electrical electronic engineering because i i didn't go i took i left school at 16 maybe i'll mm. take a few steps back and um so i was born in the east end of london and uh, my dad was a very violent guy um he was always beating up my mother he's one of nine brothers he was in a gang always in and out of prison. So when I was seven, my mother said, right, let's escape. And so she took us and we ended up in what was then called Rhodesia, now called Zimbabwe. But what we didn't realize was that uh, civil war was just about to break out. And um, we got caught up in the civil war. I was shot at probably 13 times. One of them got me in the leg. I, we were petrol bombed a couple of times. One destroyed the house. And eventually, when I was about 12, managed to get back to the UK. And when, when I got back, what they did was they... Um, they took everything from us at the airport, leaving the country, literally all our clothes, our money, our jewelry. Mm. So when we landed back in London, we had nothing. So we went in a squat in Stockwell, lived in for two years in a squat. And the way we would make money was we'd, um, there'd be rows of condemned houses waiting for redevelopment. And we'd break into the condemned houses and people would leave things like um, pianos, right? And mm. I would tune up the pianos and roll them down the Old Kent Road and sell them in the market for 25 pounds each. And that's how I survived for two years, was, was basically selling pianos. And then um, at 16, I got an apprenticeship. As soon as I could get out of school, got an apprenticeship and did this electronics engineering course. And then straight after that, things moved pretty quickly, and I found myself in France and um, selling computers. And then moved, I spent 11 years in France, three years in Copenhagen, three years in Frankfurt, uh, a couple of years in New York, and then, you know, the rest is history, I guess. And then and back to London. Back to London in 2002. <laughs> Yeah. Okay. I bought a basket case of a company called Redbus. Um, yeah. It was basically bankrupt. 
and um, took it private, um, consolidated the industry, relisted it in 2007, and we sold it in 2015 for um, around about $3 billion. So it was a good, good, good run. Wow. So from the piano to the Red Boss, um, I, I, I read a bit about it. Um, so the Red Boss company, because the original guy wanted to show London, that's why he used the Red Boss and he that's was trying right. to somehow go rival with Richard Branson, right? Exactly, exactly. Yeah, it, was, it, was exactly. A fat, it was the fat version of Richard Branson, yeah. <laughs> the fat version of Richard Branson. Mm -hmm. I, the, um, yeah, so we've got to get into the, in the book uh, a little right. bit. But um, yeah, so... Okay, so this is how you got in touch with computers. This is how you got into the industry. Yeah. And uh, we all had to live through lockdowns now, one way yeah. or another. And um, during our lockdowns, everybody has somehow discovered a gadget. Yeah. And this was the gadget of the sanity. And uh, Michael has promised me in the in the, the, the warm-up already in the prologue that he is, basically he is the gadget that's going to beat everything. So, uh, well, I, I, I hope so. what is your gadget? Come on, well, tell so, us. Look, I mean, first of all, I, it's, um, I, I, you, you can you can vouch for this. We're on video here. Unfortunately, the podcast yeah. listeners are not going to see the video, but I do have it here. Now, now actually, I've, I've upgraded because of lockdown, right? So um, okay. a couple of years ago, um, you'll be able to see there's a little scar on my hand there, which is where I just cut out a, a microchip that I put in, right? And so mm. I had implemented this microchip um, and for lockdown, I decided I was going to upgrade. And I just got, literally just got my kit arrived. It's called, da it's from a company, it's a German company called dangerousthings.com, but ignore the name, that's not dangerous. Ah, so you're going to biohack your body with, yeah, a, so with there's a chip. My, there's my chip ready to insert. But this one, because the problem with the first version was it, it tried to do everything from one chip. And what you really need is high frequency and low frequency um, RFID, right? So one is for near field and one is for far field. So now I've got these two here. You can hear the you can hear the the bags rustling. That's my two um, in, uh, um, syringes, and and the chips are in there. And uh, you get the full kit. You've got the whole kind of, you know, sort of antiseptic things and everything. So one goes in this hand, one goes in that hand. And for my right hand, I can I can use to pay my Oyster card when I go on the tube. And my left hand replaces my car keys. So one is so that was one you is... who I saw lastly with the with the hand tapping in. Yeah, literally, you just put your hand the, on there, the and, it's, and it says you're carrying any keys or, or, or cards. Uh, Tim, I think, uh, yeah, have I won? No, but, uh, have uh, I won? yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I, <laughs> you have definitely. Won. Have de I mean, we had a guy, we had a guy the other day. He had, <laughs> we had a guy the other day. He got himself. Um, we had some cool stuff. One guy, French guy. Um, he 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 looks after OVH cloud, all the technical yeah, stuff. Uh, and he, he uh, Francois, got himself a pinball machine because uh, <laughs> a pinball machine for the house. Don't ask why. Oh, but he's like, I need, he's like, I need a pinball. Yeah. <laughs> do you know what I did do as well, though? I, I, I also bought a, a – so we had this study, which we were just using for a spare room. So I thought I need to yeah. get my study ready. So I bought a new um, desk, but I had a desk built out of the front of a mini. So I've got a mini Ooh. car in my study now. With with me sitting behind, literally in the driving seat, and that's my that's my uh, my desk. So, uh, you know, I, I I think I can even trump that. That's even that's easy. That's easy. <laughs> Let him microchip his hand, and then we'll see. No, I I, I love it because I I, I I saw it in um I was in Frankfurt at a conference I think two years ago, and there was um, one professor who spoke about biohacking, yep. and basically he life implanted a chip at somebody on the stage. Yep. Yep. And. Um, Back then, they were explaining that, um, I don't know if yours can do it already, but if you have a, 
um, car which can be opened with a rem um, remotely. Yeah. Um, keyless car. You can basically program the chip on your hand. Yeah, that's, which means that's exactly what you do. So you have, you know, like the, the things that you use to charge your iPhone, you know, these uh, charge yeah. platforms. So you have one of those, right? And once you've inserted the chip, one of them is, say, is low frequency, one is high. The high frequency is for short distances, like your Oyster card. So your hand needs to be in the proximity. And you could pay for, you know, your groceries, just put your hand up at the, at the till. And then the one for low frequency, you put things like your car keys, so that as you come into the proximity of your car, it unlocks automatically because it's programmed. So that, that's why it's better to have two now, because it's more specific. The one before that I cut out was, was, was generic, and it didn't really do either of them well, because it was trying to do both. So now I have both hands operating. I, I'm right. um, <laughs> like a pin. <laughs> I see Paul's eyes on. Oh, like, oh my god! Ah! Um, Christmas dream come true. I've got to be like, uh, sweetie, I know what I want for Christmas. Because uh, <laughs> uh, how, how much? How much? Uh, how much are these chips? Not much. Not much. I, I, I can't remember exactly, but a couple of hundred euros, I think. Oh, wow. And you get the full kit. You get the syringes. You get all the little. So who's gonna? Are you gonna do it yourself? Or are you gonna have your? So uh, the first one. The first one I did myself. Um, but, but, and I also cut it out myself, as you can see with this bloody great scar, which I did a shit job at, but, um, but I think I'll get my, my wife to do it for me. So uh, probably Michael was somewhere on the South Pole. He saw his mate bleeding out of his mouth. He's like, you know what? Screw it, mate. Give me a knife. <laughs> Bam! Made a hole in his hand. Microchip ripped it out of his hand and said, you know what? That's what I'm going to leave back in the South Pole, a microchip. Go. go eat it, penguin. <laughs> 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 But yeah, great. Okay, cool. Um, so comes to the next point. Um, we the podcast is called the Uptime Punks, and we always ask our guests how you define uptime for yourself. Um, what is uptime to you? Can be in a personal life, can be also work wise. But how you how would you define uptime? Well, I think first of all, um, the, the definition of work and life is important there because um, in my second book, Live, Love, Work, Prosper, I talk about how how and it is quite appropriate. It came out a couple of years ago, but it's very appropriate to COVID and lockdown because it, it, it talks about how there's no point in trying to distinguish work and life anymore because work-life balance doesn't exist. If you try to balance them, you will ultimately fail at one or the other because we're driven people. We want to do things, right? Either we want to do things in our life or we want to do things in our business. We have you know, business aspirations and things like that. And you will eventually compromise or sacrifice something on the other side. So don't try and balance them, integrate them, right? And then, and then everything you do can be fun. So your, your work is your life is your work, right? So, you know, if you're not enjoying it, get the hell out and do something else and, and, and have fun in everything you do. Now, you know, I, I, I only sleep sort of three or four hours a, a night. So I've got plenty of uptime as it were, right? But I'll be sitting watching TV. And while I'm watching TV, I'm doing emails, I'm, I'm you know, sending, sending this, doing that. So I, I completely integrate both of them. So for me, uptime is like 21 hours a day, and it's, you know, it's just doing stuff. This is, there's no practice in life, right? You're a long time dead. You can rest then. Yeah. Um. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Wow. Um, love it. Great. Um, yeah. Um, where, where should we continue? Um, <laughs> I'm still thinking about the chips and you sitting in the Mini Cooper desk. But uh, this, this is quite British. You see what I you... stick up my rear end. <laughs> So, um, do, do, um, so, so when I when I started f for the people that um, with the new book that came out, which yeah. is called "Lifting the Floor," yeah, um, 
it starts a bit with um, which I liked, which it starts in Las Vegas, where somebody basically um, where you get described as the guy with the holes in the jeans and the shirt, <laughs> and you're the humble guy, so not the Steve Jobs that comes in with uh, uh, with always the same black um, neck neck pullover. Um, <laughs> but um, it, it's a nice description of yourself. So it, it, would you maybe you can tell people a little bit? Um, did you get inspired to write the book during your um, time on the South Pole? Because um, you mentioned COVID and already, so COVID was around when you started writing it, or was it something that was added into it later on? No, I think I think um, I think it was mostly written by the time I went to the South Pole. That one, I've actually written a fourth, and I haven't done anything with it at the moment. It's sitting there, kind of um, waiting for waiting for for me to have an inspirational moment to to publish it. But but this one, it was pretty much done when I went to the South Pole. Um, and it was easy to write because it was just the story of the of the internet industry, right? And it started in kind of you know I touch on you know the early guys in the U.S. and the founders of, of Equinix who were amazing visionaries at the time, and then and then I bring it over to Europe in the sort of late '90s when the, the likes of Mike Kelly in the old Telecity, um, and you know all these guys came up at the same time and and were again ahead of their time in terms of there was no real demand in the early 2000s. There were, you know, I remember my first data center was um, in, in Harbor Exchange in Canary Wharf, and, and we had this big raised floor area, and we used to play five-a-side soccer in it because there was no customers, and it was just a nice big space. And so, you know, it, it was completely um, ahead of its, of its need. But then slowly, as, as the – and I remember um, prior to that, I was in Frankfurt, and I remember when 9-11 happened and, and trying to get online and to watch CNN – um, online and watch what was happening. And the whole thing crashed, right? The internet just collapsed because everyone was doing it all over the world. And I thought, you know, this this got to be, you know, this is a great tool, but it's completely under-infrastructured, you know? And so so there's got to be an, an opportunity in there. So once I got back to the UK and found this, this, this data center company, even though it was very tough in the early days because it was completely bankrupt and it was mismanaged early on, um, you know, we, we knew that if we could hang on, the, the demand would, would flow through. And now, of course, you know, the, amount of data, the amount of data centers that are being built every year today far outweighs you know, the entire data center capacity on the globe in 2005. So you know, it's, it's kind of a very recent kind of evolution of, a, of an industry. And the book just goes through that whole story. You know, it was like the first guys in were just like cowboys into the Wild West in America. You know, and, and it literally almost was like shooting each other if you don't like them sort of thing. So, you know, it was it was about kind of getting getting a position, forming like land grabbing and then and then building reputation, killing off the, the competition and then slowly starting to, to eat up, you know, sort of market share and all this sort of thing. And then and how and how incredible that was to, you know, evolution of, of, of industry and technology. I think in 100 years time, they'll look back in this in this last, you know, 20 years and say how amazing this 20 years was as well. Mm -hmm. I have a question on that, Michael, um, because when you, when you told, when you just said that you were um, starting out in London with this completely um, mismanaged data center, so you knew demand for infrastructure was, was going to come, but it's, it's still sort of a risk to take, isn't it? At that time, yeah. because, um, and as I see it, 9-11 um, changed the world. You see, I think 9-11 also is a decisive point in here because 9-11 is, is what we all agree changed the world somehow. And actually what I think, 9-11 made the world more risk averse. So since 9-11, I think 
the world constantly tries to minimize risk, whether it's at the airport, whether it's in cybersecurity, whether it's like basically everywhere. COVID, again, showed us perhaps that we, we don't like risk too much. Mm. But then, but here you come, and perhaps it's, yeah. it's, it's the story of your life that brought you brought you there because you, you had a certain um, certain events leading up to that moment, isn't it? Yeah. You, you, you didn't like wake up one day and just did it. So in, in your very moved life, I say, <laughs> um, these, um, these events led you up to that moment where you thought, oh, this is an opportunity, but that it could also be a huge fuck up. So how do you think the notion of risk played into that? And what would you What would you give uh, as an advice to, I don't know, any business people who perhaps didn't have um, such a moved life, who who perhaps have led a life that made them risk averse because it was so comfortable and so, um, yeah, and so... I, I, I agree. I, I, think, I think, look, you know, when, once... I, I think your, your life does, does condition you for certain levels of risk. Um, and, you know, having been shot at and petrol bombed, I guess, you know, thinking about going bankrupt was probably low on the risk profile for me. Um, but, um, but the, you know, the other thing about it is, you know, I, I, I people, you know, young entrepreneurs, because that's the real moment that you've got nothing to lose, really nothing to lose. You've got no, you know, pre, pre-family, pre-commitments, You know, you're out there and you've got a concept, you know, raise a little bit of money with friends and family, if you like, and that sort of stuff. But you've got no, no dependencies. So if you fail, mm -hmm. you know, this is, I think, one of the big issues between the big differences in terms of entrepreneurship between Europe and the U.S., actually. Because if mm -hmm. approach, then, then by definition, if somebody, and it's not the same if they constantly make the same mistake because they're not learning. But if they make different mistakes in their journey of maturity in, into an entrepreneur or successful business person, they're actually de-risking themselves as a safe bet because they're learning how not to do all these different things, right? So for me, mm -hmm. having, having the sort of the, 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 the relativization of fear and, and disruption and all that sort of stuff allowed me to sort of take a more big picture view of things, right? And say, well, look, you know, I've still got my health, I've still got my life, you know, all those good things. Um, you know, what's not to like here? And I'll take a risk because I, I can see the bigger picture. I can see, I have that vision of where it could go to. And, and it's mm -hmm. just simply of how quickly or how, how long it takes to get there. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I like that. I mean, it, it joins again this, uh, I, uh, perhaps you don't agree, but it joins again this agile vision of move yeah. fast, mail fa fail fast. And um, all this was already around um, during 2001, whereas the agile thing got big only in the 2010ers i'm not sure yeah. but anyways what would you say is the biggest risk um for the um before i give back to paul for the for the world and perhaps for the data center industries nowadays what, what where is the biggest risk nowadays so so i think um there's obviously you know in on, on a global basis climate is extremely important and and that ties into data centers in in so many ways of course um and and a lot of people are, are quite negative towards the industry the data center industry because of the amount of power it consumes and they compare it to the airline industry and things like this but i look at it slightly differently i think there is a massive responsibility on the data center industry to be as efficient as it possibly can but the internet is not the data center industry Right. It's 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 something that we all use. People that are uh, posting tweets 
saying it's terrible about how much power the data, data center industry, they're using the internet, right, which lives in the data center industry. So, you know, by definition, they are, con they are consumers of a portion of that power. Now, if you think about it, if data centers didn't exist, every company, whether it's Twitter or Facebook or URI or all these different people, would have a server sitting under their desk, right? And it'll all be sitting there running super inefficiently, running hot, doing all these things, right? And using 10 times as much power as putting all those servers in a specify, specifically built environment that does it mega efficiently. So actually, we're a massive contributor to the, 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 the challenge of climate change, benefit, benefiting contributor, because the consumption of power from, from technology is not going to stop. It's not going to mm -hmm. go backwards. You know, if you think about our, our phones today, right, our, our iPhones, they use um, these uh, AMD chips, the low power, super duper low power chips, right? And they're like one tenth of the power that those Nokia 6310s that we spoke about before consumed. And yet I, I charge my, my phone today five times a day, whereas the 6310 was once a week. So, you know, because we're doing so much more with this device. So, we, you know, technology will always get more efficient in the way it uses power. You have um, PUEs of lower than one, then you're getting into really, really massively contributing um, uh, sort of programs for, for data centers versus climate change. And I think, I think we need to bear in mind that, you know, data centers are not the culprits, but data centers are part of the solution to, 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 to the consumption of power. Um, I, it's yeah, Tim. It's the same thing we, 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 we preach in this podcast since since we started. So, um, uh, but then again, we, we are here to talk about the solutions, but maybe I, I hand over to Paul for this. Um, yeah, no, I, I just wanted to get back to the point where people have the wrong perspective of data centers. Um, me and Tim in the early days of the podcast when we started, we, we, we said that um, we actually see people that work in the data center industry sort of as critical workers because um, if you really look at it in, in the right perspective, um, everything we touch in our daily lives, if it's a smart bulb, a smart device, whatever it is, somehow comes in touch with a data center. Absolutely. It's unavoidable. And if people, if you tell somebody, well, I work on or in the data center industry, people don't, don't can't put dots together. But the thing is, what a lot of people didn't realize that, yes, lockdowns happen, everything shut down, but the data center people, they still had to go to the data center to keep it up and running because, Absolutely. you know what, guess what? Data centers are running, your bloody Netflix is not going to run at home. And yep. then, um, and we saw it in London. I mean, I remember first day of lockdown in, in March. Um, I mean, it was catastrophic, the internet connections, because um, everything was at an absolute peak. And uh, yep. I, I think that the... the, the well, the internet connections in London are not that good anyways. Um, sorry out there to Virgin and BT and all of these guys. But um, if I compare it to other European capitals, um, well, as long as it's still a European capital, that's not a story as well. Let's look at it to politics, like a punching ball after that. <laughs> yeah, I know. But it's like um, just looking at all of these things, it's like um, – I really want to say like um, a big thanks to the data center community out there because um, they, they really uh, kept the lights on. And that's why we always say that data centers are like the lungs of our society. Uh, we need them to live, but we sometimes don't acknowledge them the way we should. Think about, you know, even during lockdown, yeah, okay, we, you know, Netflix is important, but ordering our food, vulnerable people being able to order online, you know, those sorts of things. The NHS responder. So I, I've done over 3,000 hours now on NHS responders. And, and had I not had the app on my phone, I couldn't, I couldn't help, on in, help the NHS lower the burden. 
And, and of course, the phone is going through the internet. The fact that the government co communicates with us through the TV, almost no one's TV these days is, is, is on analog. It's all, it's all IP-based, right? None of, almost no one's got an analog phone at home. They're all IP, well, unless you parts of London probably still has analog phones. Um, but, but, but still, you know, I think, I think generally, if you take IP out of, out of the world today, it collapses full stop, right? Because the infrastructure is, is built around our ability to use the internet to communicate. And again, people sort of, you know, seem to... Yeah, and, and this comes back to one of the points we discussed uh, with a guest of ours um, a couple of weeks ago, where we we're like, well, maybe, maybe it's up to the consumer to start looking at... Um, Basically, in Germany, we have a saying which is called "Don't throw a stone if you sit in a glass house." <laughs> yeah, and may, may, maybe, maybe the consumer should start looking at themselves and be like, "Okay, so do I really need to keep the TV on the whole day? Do I need, really need to um, use two screens? Do I really yeah. need to?" Um, a, a lot of people they don't realize they charge their phone, they keep it on the charger. Um, it's, yeah. it's 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 things like this. Like, do you really need to consume so much as a human being? Yeah. And if everybody would just be a little bit more aware. And then we had uh, Susanna Kass, um on the podcast and we spoke with her about it. And we're like, what would you like to tell people? And she was like, well, I would like to tell people, go back to your provider and say, hey, um, where's the energy coming from for that service that you're providing me for? And then if we start, everybody would start questioning these these yeah. questions out there. People will be forced yeah. to, um, we could force, uh, let's say, sorry, virgin, a virgin, right? A virgin media that provides internet. We could force them that they have to use renewable energies, yeah. uh, which is wind power or something else, because it is the power is with us because um, as a salesperson, Customers king, right? Yeah, and if, absolutely. If all the if all the king says, well, we just want renewable energy, but the problem in our society, and that's sadly what's a fact, is that people rather pay less money. Um, that, that's what I was going to say. Then quality. That, well, uh, then then pay for quality. Yeah, that's the right way of saying. Everybody it. wants green energy. There's no doubt about it, right? But are they willing to pay for green energy? So there, there's a there's a there's a there's a value proposition there that that we haven't quite tipped over, but we're getting close. I think we're getting close. And, um, and one of the challenges, I think, is the fact that, co that the lockdown has driven the price of oil low again, right? And, and because now the, the, the oil doesn't stop coming out the ground just because we're not consuming it, right? So the infrastructure is there to suck as much as possible. So, so unfortunately, the oil price will stay very low for a long time, which means that investment into renewable energy is going to reduce for the short period because there's, the, the returns aren't going to be there. Right, because yeah. the relative price versus oil has gone up substantially, or, or is, the delta has gone up substantially. So I think I think there is a challenge there. But ultimately, yeah, and it's it's like um, like we discussed yesterday with uh, Roman, um, who is the head for data science for Bitcom. Yeah. Um, and so we had a similar discussion with him yesterday, and then he said, well. Um, The problem is in Germany, they have this initiative. If you build solar panels on your roof, the government gives you funding and they promise you to buy energy from you for the next 20 years yeah. because Germans like a safety net. Yeah? Yeah. A German would never like put money anywhere if he doesn't know he's going to get a return out of it. Yeah. So, and he's like, well, why would you use it in a data center? Because a data center is going to come, okay, I'll buy four years from you because data centers will never sign 20-year commitment plans. Yeah. Then I was like, well, you know what? Then maybe the government needs to step up to it and say, um, you know what, Mr. Data Center, if you want to build another data center in London, or let's say you would say, okay, anything South, South England has to be run 80% by renewable energy. 
if you want to open another facility, you must sign this contract and you must purchase the energy from this place. And um, you can dictate these kind of things because coming back to uh, data privacy and all of these things, certain data has to be stored um, within uh, your country. And um, the data center guys that can turn themselves upside down, they need to follow these things. Yeah, I think. And, and so we've seen, already seen in, in Amsterdam, they had a, a year-long moratorium in building new da data centers in the Amsterdam region. Right? So, you know, they, they can do this and just say, like, no more. That's it, right? We're running out of power for residents. We're running out of power for the other infrastructure we need. Um, and so yeah, they put these things on hold. And I think we're going to see more and more of that because ultimately, you know, I, I saw an article the other day where the UK is putting in like hundreds and hundreds of wind turbines and wave power and things. And that's going to be great. But, but I, you know, the, the demand for power just for data centers is going up because that's the demand of our usage of the Internet is going up. And we haven't seen really the Internet of Things kicking in in any big way yet. We haven't seen big data kicking in in, in any big way. We haven't seen driverless cars. We haven't seen all these low latency, high, you know, sort of super proximi proximity type um, applications that's going to drive even more uh, devices connected to the Internet and even more volume th traffic through. But, you know, my, my ultimate is, you know, sort of use less electricity and drink more alcohol, really. <laughs> 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 right. I think uh, I don't know about the water intensity of alcohol production, Consume but um, differently. that's what I said. Consume differently, <laughs> sure. Um, it ties in with the notion of uptime that you gave us before, yeah. if I briefly want, um, because you said work life um, is, a, is a concept that is old, throw it away, combine everything, and um, then you will be able to get the benefits, the, the, the good sides of both from your work and from your from your spare time what else you want to do to be have a fulfilled life that don't know uh, go for works everything that is not business related so combine it and you will get the benefits of both so now if you um, um uh, uh, transpose this uh, concept on the data center industry wouldn't that actually mean that data centers shouldn't be regarded as like a separate industry or like a separate variable in the in the energy equation but they should actually be part of our ecosystem. 100%. And this is what we're doing. This is what we're doing in Amsterdam, by the way, where, where you know, we're mm -hmm. taking, we're taking um, the, the, the excess heat generated in a day. So basically, you take cold water, right? It becomes heat, right? Mm -hmm. And then that goes up into the atmosphere. Well, that's, that's energy, right? So we, we channel that underground to a local hospital and we heat the hospital free of charge. Right. So mm -hmm. so essentially what we're doing is we're, we're capturing all the excess wasted energy. This is the, the effectively the PUE delta right? that, a, mm -hmm. that, a, that a data center generates and actually almost make it zero by delivering it where it's needed, where that heat is actually needed. So reducing the cost of power for the, ho for the hospital. And it's like what you're saying is like taking the data center and saying, OK, it is an industry in itself, but in, in, the, in the value chain of power, it can be it can be built into other things, right? And if you mm -hmm. if you have a uh, a tech, uh, we should be building mm -hmm. them in in a different way. Do you think that profitability is the most decisive um, incentive for these kind of things, or is there something else? Um, ultimately, the, you know, none of these. I, I don't know any data centers that have a, a registered charity number. So, so I think profitability is is. Uh, is, is important to everybody, right? And, and the people that are invested in data centers more and more these days are pension funds and infrastructure funds have our pensions vested in the pension fund. So we want the pension fund to make money. Therefore, the data center has to make money. 
Mm-hmm. So, so mm-hmm. It, the we, it comes back to the consumer again. Does the consumer accept that their pension will be halved, right? So that the 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 the, the data center makes less money because it gives back to the the community. So it's our decision. Mm-hmm. Ultimately, it's always our decision, right? Yeah. yeah, definitely. I mean, there's there's debate in Switzerland going on about pension funds investing in less sustainable sectors, perhaps even um, the weapon uh, industry yeah. or arms industry. So these are all these are all things. But then again, when we vote about uh, uh, halving our pension, I guess the outcome is clear as well. So it's yeah, it's it's a, it's an ethical and uh, economical minefield almost absolutely but i'm sure that there is lots of potential in the industry well, and that there is um, and it's, a, and it's one of the industries angle. as well there's another angle. yeah so so the people that invest in data centers the data centers house porn as long as it's legal porn right then are we ethically happy with that as a as a somebody mm-hmm. that puts your pension money into a pension fund that invests into a data center that's running porn are you happy with that right so, but then you mm-hmm. could argue, you know, are you investing in, you're investing in, let's call it British Telecom or Swiss, Swiss Telecom as a, as a public stock and somebody's swearing on the telephone, okay? And, and those two things are what, are, what, are what drives us ultimately. So at any given time, they may flip, but ultimately it'd be one of those two. Even when I do, when I do so, things for charity, it's to make myself feel better. Therefore, it's a selfish act, right? And that's, that's a greed ethic. Um, I want to ask you something uh, just at that point. Um, you you mentioned uh, a chapel and a church a couple of times um, in your in your book. Yeah. So are you? Uh, would you say you're a man of faith then? Or um... no, I'm not. I'm not. My my faith my faith is in um, is is a kind of a I believe in a, a kind of a, a spirit of good, if that makes sense. Okay. Right? Yeah. Give good and good comes yeah, to you. Like give bad and bad. Like karma. You know, yeah, I, 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 yeah, I, I, yeah. I tell a lot of um, my, my, my entrepreneur colleagues to, to, to just surround yourself with, with good people, surround yourself with clever people. You know, if you, if you surround yourself with drug dealers, it won't take long before you become a druggie, right? If you surround yourself with successful people, it shouldn't take long for you to become successful, okay? So, so surround yourself with, the, with people that are like the person you want to become, Right. And, and yeah. I think that that's a, you know, that's a story in itself. It's, it's be good to people. They'll be good to you. You know, all those things I believe in. Right. But is there, is there this guy looking down with a, you know, no, 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 <laughs> he's not for me, brother. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay, cool. Uh, to Tim, uh, you wanted to, um, just about to no, ask I, something. I think it's it's a nice um, it's it's a nice closing of this chapter. Maybe um, we go into the book, perhaps um, leading over to um, what do you think is the book basically telling? Is it's the, the the subtitle is the true story of a neglected industry? Correct me if I'm not wrong. a neglected industry, uh, an, an under, under under a misunderstood industry, probably. Yeah. misunderstood industry lifting to the floor so what you're trying to achieve from what the title says is to show something that was hidden yeah. but what exactly is hidden so what 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 do you reveal in that sense well, i think first um, of all as, as we said at the beginning of this you know so many people just take the internet for granted take everything we do they probably don't even know their tv goes through the internet 
they probably don't even know their mobile phones go mm. through the internet and they don't understand what, what is the physical infrastructure. And it's not just data centers, it's fiber, it's towers, it's all these things that contribute to the physical stuff behind the virtual world, right? And so, so I think revealing that as, a, as an industry per se and, and, and then the nascent um, uh, sort of composition of it because you know, 20 years ago, it basically didn't exist. And, and, and all of this has just come at a, at a massive rate. Um, and if you think about the, 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 the skullduggery and, and, you know, it literally was like cowboys in the, in, in the, in the Midwest, right? The people out there like double crossing and, and, you know, lying and cheating and, you know, and all this stuff going on, right? And then, and the, and the characters that come out of that, right? So when we think of the Wild West, we think of like Wild Bill Hitchcock, Hitchcock or whatever his name is and, and, you know, like, um, Billy Jesse James. Data, all these people, right? And, and then you go like, okay, well, the data center industry is just like that. It's got all these characters in it that, that have these amazing stories of, you know, and they, like they, they become legends in their own kind of history. And, um, you know, and they will be sort of like spoken about in the years to come as like, oh, I remember this guy, I remember that guy. But, but you know, the, the, the kind of stories that came out, you know, the, the, the parties, you know, the, the craziness that used to happen. Now it's a mature industry, but it's gone through 20 years, which is nothing for an industry. I mean, you know, look at, look at Kodak was 100 and odd years old, and then it went bust because it couldn't absorb um, digital, which it invented. But, um, but so, so um, <laughs> but, but the, but the, you know, in 20 years, it's matured enormously into this, into this highly, highly valuable life-critical in industry now. And I think that, you know, mm -hmm. we, we, it's just a story about some of, those, some of those characters and how they fit into the great sort of, evolution and i think what it what it does as well is, is it finishes off sort of talking about you know what could be the next five to ten years and and the rate of change is so fast now you know when you think about all the billions and billions of devices that are going to be connected to the internet and i you know if you fast forward 15 years every street corner will have what we call a data center on it right because mm -hmm. because two driverless cars about to hit each other can't communicate via seattle Right? They're going to have to communicate by that street corner to, to avoid, it, avoid themselves at the last minute. So, you know, the, 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 the latency and everything that we do and the volume is just going to mean, you know, I imagine every sort of super, local supermarket is going to have a little space in the corner and put a cabinet in there for a data center. Every post office, every, mm -hmm. every, every pharmacy is going to have a little data center oh. in there. Can I so, say, Paul? In our first episode, we had um, Dr. Peter Koch. Um, he's, a, he's a, like a Bavarian, like the most Bavarian person you can think <laughs> of, right? And basically in German, we have a saying, it's called, jeder Scheißhaufen hat ein Rechenzentrum. And basically, if you translate it, it just means every shit pile in a farmhouse is going to have a data center. <laughs> um, so this is basically... This is basically how he started because um, it, it, it's a massive debate because um, Germany is quite advanced when it comes to, like you said, the mobility and all these things. And it's like, all right, sounds all nice and good. You land in Munich airport, but the second you hit Allianz Arena on the highway when you drive into Munich, your phone signal is gone, right? So um, well, what are you going to do when you drive a Tesla car? I mean, disconnect? No, it's not possible. And then, then you have these guys who say, oh, well, it's going to be all offline, 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 right? And and you, and you, you see divides because we had people like ugh, we had people from the same company, yeah. right? You have one guy who is actually like in it, like doing in it, like he's hands-on with that yeah. car stuff, yeah, yeah. right? And he says, 
20, 30 years, never going to be there like people think it's going to be yeah. there. And then you have the other guys who like from the sales background, they, they, like, they help the enterprise <laughs> side of the business. And they're like, oh, yeah, 10 years, self-driving cars, yeah. everything possible, offline solutions. And it, it, it just shows you that there's such a massive divide in the industry because if 5G is nice, apparently now a guy said the other day in the podcast, there's a 6G now already. Yeah, of course Some people is. have 6G. <laughs> I mean, it's like, look, I mean, do you really need it? Well, the thing is, we don't today, right? But we will by the time it's here. So so the thing is, right, again, you know, we were perfectly happy with our Nokia 6310 and we were so excited with WAP. But you try and live with that now. You can't, right? But sometimes I think it will be better maybe to not be reachable to didn't ah, now you see you're coming into the when you were on the, the south pole michael when you were on the south pole how often did you check your emails um once every two days were you happy and it took and it did took, you reply did you respond to something <laughs> did you hour. take the gloves off it took me an hour to connect <laughs> because you know surprise surprise there aren't many satellites floating around the south pole right because they're not really needed that much um so there's no one there Right. And if you remember back in the day with dial up modems, right, and you, you, you'd, you'd press the button and you'd hear this like that. <laughs> yeah. And then you and you see the wheel of death going round on your screen. You know, you do that for 30 seconds. You're out of here. You're on a different website. You can't stand it. Not even 30 yeah, seconds, exactly. probably five exactly. seconds. So, so, you know, I mean, yeah. th- we have, our expectations are different and they drag. But aren't we then tech junkies? Don't you think we become tech junkies? You know, so, so here's a great story, right? So this is all technology is, has got this, right? So from the beginning of time, from the beginning of time, technology begats consumption. Okay. And I'll give you an example. So back in the industrial age, right, there was the great um, industrialists like... Um, um, Isambard Kingdom Brunel, uh, Stevenson with, with the invention of the steam engine and all this, right? And, and they, they, they'd started all this industry of steam and locomotion and, and they got together as a group and, and they, they had this conversation because there were people going into coal mines and dying in coal mines because the demand for coal was just crazy. So they were, and, but the, the infrastructure wasn't there to, to, be, to be safe, so people were dying all the time in coal mines. So they sat down and said, listen, guys, we've got to sort this out. And this is so relevant to our earlier question. They said, look, we've got to invent the most efficient steam engine the world has ever seen. And that way we'll use less steam, less, less coal, right? Because it will be the most efficient steam engine. Well, how did that work out, right? The more efficient you make it, the more available it is, the more, more prolific it is, and then everyone uses it, right? And then you consume more coal. And there's a guy, one of the industrialists was a guy called Jevon, J-E-A-V-O-N. And if you look up Jevon's paradox, right, basically it is that the more efficient you make technology, the more you consume of that technology. So 5G will generate much more consumption than we ever saw on 4G. And pretty soon we'll be frustrated with the speed of 5G. Right? And that's why they're already inventing 6G. Mm-hmm. But doesn't that mean... Yeah. But doesn't that mean for the quest of energy, uh, energy efficiency in data centers, it's the same? But it is. You know, things are, are getting smaller, so we can cram more into the data center. But as you know, you can't just throw more power at the same physical space, right? Your power is relatively limited, but hopefully you can then condense it into a, into a, into a smaller space. But the consumption is going to go one way. Mm-hmm. But aren't the resources all finite in some way, except sun? Perhaps. 
even the well, sun will at some point explode and not be there anymore but if we leave that out of the equation <laughs> um water winds may be infinite but then again are not as reliable everywhere but the rest is finite isn't it um look i mean wind is infinite um you know sea is infinite i guess but but ultimately you know we've got to find ways of solar you know solar isn't infinite but it's going to be around longer than we are so <laughs> that's probably an interesting one well i i just think that um I just think there could be so much more that could be done in terms of um, renewable energy, especially. I, I mean, Michael, you probably know the UK data center market better than me or Tim. Um, would you say there's some people where you say they really, they really pioneers, and they're leading maybe across Europe with their data centers? Uh, it's interesting. I, I don't think I don't think the um, there's really a kind of a standout pioneer. I think. I think they're all trying very hard to to be um, as responsible as possible. Everyone recognizes, you know, that, that we have a big role to play in in, in sustainability and in reducing um, uh, consumption of energy. Full stop. So, I th I, but I wouldn't say there's a real standout. I mean, all the big guys, you know, in, in, the Equinixes, the Digital Realties, the Edge Connects, you know, all, all these people are are doing as much as they can. Um, to to kind of mitigate the the, the losses in the industry, um, but I wouldn't say there's one standout player. I mean, you know, if you look at um, uh, Switch in in Vegas, you know, they 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 say they have a PUE of um, negative one, which is quite challenging living in the desert. But um, uh, you know, I, I I think that's difficult. And and some of the some of the um, you know the the, the Scandi businesses. Um, like Digiplex are pretty good because it's it's naturally colder up there, so you consume less power for cooling. And so there there are kind of physical environments that that you know that help the reduction of consumption. Um, but I wouldn't say there's any sort of standout kind of industry aspirational leader that that, that everyone can point to. I think Europe's ahead. I think Europe's ahead, and I think I think obviously you know Germany's got their 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 the green taxes and you know these are these are drivers of change of habit um and you know some industries you know the, those kind of sort of levies or taxes are important because they change habits of those industries and and i think that that's one way of of, of ensuring that data centers stay stay on their toes when it comes to consumption um and i think so so i think you know germany is a good good reference point um, most of uh, France's power, I believe, is is, um, is nuclear, um, so it's relatively green. But you can you can decide whether you feel nuclear is good or bad. But um, but but at least it's relatively green compared to um, some of the other countries in Europe. But but I think overall Europe has a a positive uh, position on on a world stage in terms of trying to um, approach green in a more all right, so um, Michael got Michael got a second delivery of mulled wine, uh, glue wine for <laughs> Christmas <laughs> holidays, um, and um, yeah, it just shows that uptime. I mean, um, who would have thought um, fifteen years ago that you could watch your delivery via your smartphone? Huh? Uh, yeah, absolutely. I'm just sitting here. I was able to open the gate and uh, let him in, put it all on my front porch, and send him off again and shut the gate. Um, do you have a small robot that's going to start ca carrying in the cases now? But no. <laughs> No, no, but I, but I, but I do, I do uh, find that I'll probably drink most of it before I actually need to fill it in. <laughs> <laughs> okay, um, 
Great. Um, so um, maybe uh, I would say the first question, the, one of the first and last questions we're going to ask you is, um, what, what's your favorite Christmas song, and what gets you in the in 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 the mood for the holidays? Well, I think I think um, as you can see behind me, I just put this Christmas tree up that last weekend. Yeah. Um, and, uh, um, we, you know, my favorite has got to be uh, "Fairy Tale of New York" by the Pogues. Oh, mm -hmm. it's so it's so. Um, it's such a kind of a oh, it's famous first of all in terms of how many people like it but but it's also you know i like i like the fact that they're swearing saying merry christmas you are so it's, uh, it's a really it's a really good take tim do you know that song i do kind of it's this one here i can play only five seconds it's it's a very pop song i would say it's nice in the pop for yeah. you maybe i can get so can alexa play play Fairy tale of New York. Gonna get copyright issues, but let's see <laughs> how far we gonna get this. Too far away. Anyways. Hey Alexa. Isn't it, isn't it a punk song? And that was actually a really nice song. Pogue, um, Pogue song. Yeah. It, it's oh, like um, yeah. no. The thing is, why I said five seconds is because um, because of copyright, you can only play five seconds. Is it? All um, oh, right, because you're you're yeah you're playing. Yeah, because now, so Tim, it's like. Ah uh, yeah, I know that one. Okay, so for everybody yeah, out there, it's a really great song uh, after a couple of beers in the pub, uh, um, which I think everybody's going to miss this year quite a lot um, because, um, well, some people are going, Germany has an extended lockdown now. Um, my, my parents are in Austria. They're going, they're still having complete lockdown because otherwise they can't open the ski lifts, um, yeah. which is some great no, news, really by the way. Um, Michael, if you still want to go skiing in Austria... Just, um, they just announced that there's mass te testing happening next week and then they'll be ready to open okay. up the lifts after uh, Christmas Day. So um, oh, At least they, they got something going. That's, that's pretty good. I mean, I know, I know France has kind of given up until January. So, but, yeah. Um, but look, I mean, you know, th these are these are first. It's one time. Right? That's yeah. a one time. Mo thing, moaning yeah. about watching too much Netflix and not going skiing is is not exactly a hardship. I I actually got sick and tired of Netflix, to be honest. Um, <laughs> sorry, Netflix, but we're not sponsored by Netflix, so I can say this. Um, <laughs> I actually, I actually, um, uh, I hate to say, but I've discovered reading during this lockdown because there was a time. Discovered there was time I was watching BBC News every evening. Then I got so sick and tired of 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 this five o'clock um, theater going on on television. Yeah, yeah, the COVID. Report. Yeah, the COVID report was just like. Um, well, anyways, let's look at the politics. This guy just makes my hair yeah, stand up. But it's very difficult because the thing is, like, um, God, Jesus. Um, yeah, it's like it's really difficult because you're really passionate about it and you just don't seem to understand the, the way the logic and then. Um, then I said, you know what, I'm done with British news. So I got myself a massive satellite dish. My neighbors are not really happy about it because it's like no more sunlight is coming into the bedroom because of my satellite dish. So I'm watching German news and the, the Germans are like, they, they interviewed the health minister. So when the British government announced that, well, lockdown is from this date to this date. And then during the holidays, people can mix. And then they asked it in Germany and they said, well, the lockdown is going to continue till the 10th of January. And then they asked the health minister, why don't you guys do it like in the UK? They're doing the right thing to let the people. And then he goes, he's like, well, uh, excuse me, but we're not like the British um, 
parliament and the minister who just looks at the sky and predicts the weather and says, this is how we're going to move forward. We actually base <laughs> things on scientific data. So uh, this this just made me laugh. But um, further than that, I don't watch TV anymore. I, I got a Kindle now and I started reading books because I thought maybe I can use this time to educate myself. But um yeah. Uh, well, yeah. I've got, I'll, I'll send. Maybe I'll send you. If you've done all, all three of mine, I'll send you my um, my unpublished one for, for you to read through as well. It's kind of like a post-COVID analysis of the world. Oh, so wow. much, yeah. so much for the book tips and. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> no, the post-COVID analysis is definitely something interesting. Is there like? Do you have any some some far away date or some idea of when it's going to be published, or is it just like still in progress? Well, to be fair, to, it's all finished. It's it's um it's all into chapters and everything else. It's just a question of publishing it, and it's easy to publish yourself publishing these days with with that with you know Amazon and everything. Mm-hmm. Um, but um, to be fair, this one lifting the floor is 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 flying off the shelves still, and I'm a bit worried about compromising the sales of that one. You know, I'm just enjoying that one going and selling a lot at the moment. So um, that that's all good. Uh, but yeah, I'll probably bring it out in in at middle. Of- well, you let us know when it comes out, and we have you back here, and then we can uh, see how twenty twenty one is treating everybody. Yeah. And well, listen. So you know, I mean, I, I always I always try and find fun facts and things. And um, while I was up there, I ran past the study, um, and I and speaking about these uh, lockdown um, these lockdown gadgets, <laughs> right? And I, I probably have I can probably put myself in position one and two. <laughs> with my lockdown gadgets um, in, your, in your show because I picked up something my kids brought me. Um, so uh, my younger one said to me, um, I, I, I was walking past, just before lockdown, I was, I was walking past their school and waved to them and, 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 I, and I said, I went like this, I'll call you, you know, you, you, for, for podcast, you can't, hear, you can't see very I said, I'll call you, I'll call you. And then when, when she came back, she goes like, what, 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 what was that? I mean, what, what were you trying to do? And I said, well, back in the old day, and I bought her an old Baker-like telephone from an auction Aww. on eBay or something to show her what an old telephone looked like, right? So, so then she came to me um, at the beginning of, of, of winter, right? And she bought me this pair of gloves, which I'm holding up here which is really lovely. And, she, and I said, but that's very nice, but they're not really my style. But, but anyway, she said, no, 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 no. These are really good. Bluetooth gloves. So what they are, no, what they are, they're, they're actually, um, they're, they're, they're Bluetooth connected, <laughs> right? And they have a microphone here and a speaker here. So I can walk around like this and I can actually be on the telephone. So I walked down the street with my hand like this and everyone thought I was absolutely crazy <laughs> because I was talking on my phone, but it was my Bluetooth headset. But, <laughs> So that's another lockdown gadget for me, though. Ah, oh, God, that's great. That's I mean, Michael, <laughs> so I you just, you just, it's like a Lewis, ha- it's like a Lewis Hamilton. Vettel has no more chance. I mean, it's like <laughs> McLaren just takes it all the way. Um, okay, yeah, you knocked out the front row. Um, absolutely great. Um, yeah. So, um, Tim. Yeah, do you have some more? Do you have some more questions for Michael? Uh, because otherwise, I would have said um, the last word is is with our um, lovely guest. Oh, he's gone on. He's gone on mute again. Yeah, too. I'm a mute. Not anymore. Yes. <laughs> Not anymore. Right. No, it's just because you guys talk so much. I need to put myself on mute, and also because the rain is sitting on the on the on the. Uh, on the ceiling so i'm not not sure if one can hear it or not but anyways you know i just say this uh lifting the floor the true stories hiding beneath the tiles of the data center industry get it on amazon um 
uh, get it as an audiobook, get it as a hardcover or Kindle. Anyways, it's a great read. Um, we're going to put the link in the description as we're well. We're going to put the link in the description Thank as you. well. And uh, we look forward to more, much more, coming from Michael Tobin, uh, the the living life uh, <laughs> Wild West legend. <laughs> um, the Jesse James of the data center industry. The J.K. Rowling of uh, of data center books. Yeah, I think I prefer Jesse James. Yeah, the, the, the Lancelot of um, of the data center industry. By the way, Michael Tobin is also a knight, so we have um, mentioned that as well. And um, yeah, anyways, guys, have fun. Uh, thank you so much, Michael, for coming and last words are yeah well thank you it's been an absolute privilege and fun to to be on your on your show today and and uh, well done for for um keeping up these inspiring stories on on uh, on podcasts for all our listeners in the industry i guess um you know one one thing that uh, i i learned when i when i got my letter because the internet didn't exist then when i was 16 years old that told me i got my apprenticeship into electronics um, I was sitting at the, on, on, the, on the seat in Bond Street tube station and um, the guy next to me, an old man, right? And he, he couldn't read what was written on the letter, but he could see I was beaming with smiles and so happy. And he, and he looked at me and he said, son, he said, always go the extra mile because there's less traffic there. And that stayed with me ever since. So whatever you're doing, whether it's fun, business, work, pleasure, everything, just do it to an extreme because we're, you know, it's your one shot at life and, and make sure that you, uh, you exploit every corner. Hey, um, did two deliveries? <laughs> <laughs> two deliveries later, um, you have lots of editing work to do, I guess. Yeah, no, we'd be all right. Um, but it, it's um, I was very honoured by this guest on the podcast, Tim. I must say because um, I think um, it was one of our highlights in um, the season one of the Uptime Punks. I, I, are we going to do different seasons? I don't think so. It's just going to be continuous. But um, I just think it's really. Um, I hope you guys really enjoyed it. Um, Michael will be coming back. Um, because there's going to be a fourth book, um, which will come out at some point, and then we'll um, talk about it on the punks, obviously. But um, to talk about some of the things we take away from the conversation. So um, we've learned that um, the South Pole doesn't have penguins and ice bears. Um, there are penguins, but just like on a very, very limited uh, space, and the rest is basically <laughs> just... Like Tim, this means nothing. This means nothing geographic has lied to me my entire youth. I, mean, <laughs> I, 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 I Man, thought I thought every I'm... child knows that the ice bears are on the North Pole, and 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 the penguins are uh, in Linux. No, um, what? <laughs> <laughs> um, it was really great. Um, his gadget, Tim, um, favorite. Yeah, therefore, I mean. Uh, I wouldn't Come do myself on. to be. I wouldn't. I don't know. I, I, I mean, saw it. I, I was in Frankfurt at a conference, and really, mm. it was like, it was like they did like a tombola, and then one guy won it, and they implanted in him the chip on stage, mm. and it was absolutely nuts. And um, but yeah, I think that's the future, and I like I like the glove, and 
yeah, it's just everything about it was actually pretty cool. Um, well, what's your what's your uh, takeaway from this from this episode? My takeaway is that the the the, the life story of someone can really influence you um, to become a certain person. Like uh, Michael wouldn't have done what he's done without his perhaps difficulties if he he faced um, as, as a young person. So I guess that we all have something in our lives which was perhaps a challenge or difficult, but I think it's it's the it's question of growing out of that and accepting it as, as it is basically as well. Um, and the other thing, I think one of the questions I asked was about risk. And uh, I guess risk is something we normally don't like as humans and i think the, the world doesn't like it any as well um since 9 11 since since covid i think we we all want to try and avoid risk and have a very safe secure warm and comfortable environment but that's not the way um that's not the way the world works perhaps um even if in the end i'm a friend of collaboration i'm a friend of 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 of, of altruism and, and and all that so don't get me wrong but uh i think it's yeah it's accepting um it's accepting the the hardship and and move on it sounds really blunt when i say it but it's 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 just what i've learned um from this episode wow Okay, and um, do you want to share another Christmas song, or did you like? I'm, I'm made. I'm I'm running out of Christmas songs. <laughs> um, the 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 one the the pokes are, I actually quite like. Um, what what else is there? Um, no, mate. I'm 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 spent. <laughs> you need <laughs> you need to come up with one. Okay, let's see. But Michael's was actually quite nice, and yeah, uh, we would kindly ask you guys like i said already in the intro um check out this book download it have a look at it um it's called lifting the floor it's an amazon kindle it's a must read for everybody in and on the industry on the industry very important thing we learned already along our path um and yeah and please subscribe to our podcast if you haven't already and if you have any comments or questions please reach out to us on linkedin uptime punks official and yeah we hope you all have had uh, good Fun. Christmas holidays, and we hope that you all have a great start to 21 because um, 21 is the, the, hopefully the year where everything is going to go back to normal. And that's it from us, and take care. Bye. Cheers, bye.